I do pray that everyone who is at home is feeling well. And once again, I have no commercials. So, with that being said, <laughs> we are continuing our series. We're continuing our series in the Gospel of John. Today, we will be looking at verses 4 through 5. It reads, In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. Shall we look to the Lord our God now in prayer? Father, we give thanks for this Sabbath day and for the many that are seeking or still seeking for the Messiah, and yet you revealed him by your word. This very word which all things came into existence, and by your word we know we have life. Be with your servant as he feed and teach your sheep, and to them may they come with a childlike love and a willing mind to receive your word, the very word of which nothing came in existence, but they were spoken of by you. It's in Christ's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Now, in light of the last sermon, we examined three verses, the first three. And in them we establish from the very first clause the divinity of Christ. This should not uh, be an issue uh, to see and clearly understand what the apostle is trying to address. And by it, in his very first clause, in the beginning, from the start, he exclaimed that God existed before the earth began. And in perspective, to close the clause, then was the word, it defines the essence of God, the Son, in it, that he is incontained, or he contains the all internal wisdom and will of God, but also that he is the lively image of his purpose. Recall, I brought to you these verses from the old into the new. Jeremiah ten twelve. He hath made the earth by his power. And he established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens by his discretion. Then pulling from the old and to show the harmony to the new, Colossians 1.19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, being Christ, and through him, Christ, to reconcile all things to himself whether things on the earth or things in heaven. So it's very clear. You can see from where the apostle is coming from to show that unity between God the Son and the Godhead. So then, by consequence, the next clauses that closes the first verse, the word was with God and the word was God, furnishes that God the Son, again, existed before time and space, and he and as through God the Son, being, like I said before, the fullness of the Godhead in which he embodies, it punctuates that there is harmony between them of being one thought, one essence, and one being. This is not the Sibelian error of which the Godhead metaphysically forms one time into the Father, and then another time he's feeling really good, he turns into the Son, and then decides to just leave his body and become the Spirit. That's not the case here. No. 
It is very conclusive from this verse verse as the apostle is making it. God the Son was indeed God from all eternity. And how do they operate in harmony? I gave to you Ephesians 1.4. In the economy in which they were seen through redemption, their faculties were already decreed from the beginning before anything even came into existence. So therefore, by verse number two, we can see this concept given by the apostle in this summation that God the Son from eternity has existed with a distinct personality and a proper deity. By verse three then, showing proof that the God the Son divinity was now proven and exclaimed, we see it now by his works. By verse 3, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. What does it transpire here? It means Christ being the author of creation, old and new, is, was, is, and will always be the efficient cause. That is not to say that his body, being that we know it has been bodily resurrected into the heavens, everything came through that actual formation. That is not the case. It was simply that him being the word, he speaks it into existence, and therefore it comes forth. Whether it be angels, elect or unelect, Job 26, 13. Whether it be mankind, elect and unelect, Genesis 1, 26, through 27, or whether it be the creatures of the living stock. Genesis 1, 20-25, he must be the effective and efficient start, for by Hebrews 1, 2, he has been made the heir of all things. That allow us now to segue properly into verse number 4. For with all creation that came into being, how can it be made alive? So therefore, the apostle makes it very clear, in him was life. And in this life he's attributing to the son, he is stating that this life is the same life as with the father and the spirit. They are, as the Godhead, a living God. Isaiah 40, 28. Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is unsearchable. This statement that I'm giving to you, not small, but a big affirmation by the apostle. For in God the Son is life. And being a consequence that life exists in this essence of him, it is then appropriate that he has to be then the giver of life. See, note the next clause in verse number four. And the life was the light of man. Now, let's break this process down in terms of life. This must be understood in three aspects. Life for the physical and the metaphysical. There is life that is considered spiritual, and there's life that is considered eternal. 
This is not a new doctrine. This doesn't really necessitate a new title. This is just a concept that we must come to grips with because it existed in the beginning with the garden. How so? Like John, I'm going to bring you back to the garden. In Genesis 1, 9 through 13, recall on the third day, the Lord God created vegetation, plants that yielded seeds and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit according, given the decree of him and his perfect will by their own kind to which the seeds would be associated with them. Then Genesis 2, 8 and 9 details and gives more clarity of that third day. Moses states at verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden towards the east and Eden. Verse 9, out of the ground, the Lord God caused every tree to grow that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. And he makes two distinct trees being there, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, there is a reason why Moses has to state this in this particular clarity and definition. Why? Because the tree of life wasn't there for no apparent reason, as true with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as we know through uh, the story that is stated in Genesis. But that tree of life encompassed things that it provided a sense of source to the beings around it. For example, in Revelation 22, 1 through 2, we know that the earth sought the tree of life for healing. Listen to John as he speaks in verse 1. And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of his streets. And on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. Adam was commanded to eat from this tree. Yes, he was commanded. Genesis 2.16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat. We understand the other condition from this tree, particularly the one that is the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat from it. But then lastly, this tree not just providing the sustenance for Adam in his present state. Well, upon disobedience of God's law and from eating from the forbidden tree that he was told not to eat from, had he eaten the tree of life, he would have lived. Forever. Genesis 3, 22, Moses states here, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out with his hand and take fruit also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. You see, by John's declarative statement in verse number on verse number four, we should be able to make that connection that is in all aspects of life, whether physical or metaphysical, spiritual or eternal, all encompassing. The life has always encompassed in God. But we know now with the way John conveyed it in verse 
Number four, even in the sun, there is life and the essence of life dwell in him. Now, I did bring to you it being the light of man. So then John makes note of this light being synonymous. What does this entail? It just means that unlike all the others, being all the other life forms that are out amongst the universe and of the world as we know it, the light in particular to mankind comes with a distinction. That life that they were granted came with a distinction that God endued man with understanding and with reason. It was to separate them, to make a clear distinction between his creation. Question is, why so? Well, let's look. Genesis 2.7 tells us how man was formed. I mean, unlike the animals, we get very clear distinction upon the body and formation of man. Genesis 2-7, the Lord God formed man from the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then man became a living being. We then know that upon man and woman being the woman coming from the rib of man, they were made in the image of God and according to the likeness. Genesis 1, 26, 27 states, Moses writes, Let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness. Let them then rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the livestock of all the earth, over every crawling thing that crawls. So he created them, man, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. And note, he charges them, he charges them, in particular Adam, with a faculty not like the animals. Genesis 2, 5. So now no shrub was of the field and was yet on the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth and there was no man to cultivate it. Genesis 2.15 then, after God made man, he then took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to tend to it. Then, of which, and this is what's interesting, just to show you the dynamics of the work of the Godhead, he then tells Adam, well, looks like you need a helpmate by tending to your garden. And first, he gives them the animals. But realizing that wasn't going to be sufficient enough, he created woman. Oh, he did. Now, with that being said, with all encompassing the rank that is mankind over the living creatures, this again, I make a distinct Difference is not by accident. But if you see it in this light of all his creations, whether it's the stones, whether it's grass, whether it's the animals, the fact that he has given man this distinction of wisdom and understanding is a form of worship that he expects from that particular form of creation.
Think about it. If God, in being that he is God, and his proper and perfect will, can even make an animal speak truth. Now, granted, probably that's probably the only two instances besides today with the humanists and their frail attempts to get monkeys to read books and resuscitate and, and do all this jargon. But we really only have two instances of people actually speaking to animals. Adam with the serpent and then the donkey. You know, you don't find them a lot throughout history now, do we? But when we see God and his communication with his creation, it should be an eye-opening experience that of all his creation, we, being mankind, were given a distinct gift. And this is what the apostle is trying to make clear of. Calvin states here, as it is not in vain that God imparts his light to their minds, it follows that the purpose for which they were created was that they might acknowledge him who is the author of so excellent a blessing. John Gill states here, Adam had a knowledge of God, of his being and his perfections, of the persons in the Trinity, of his relation to God, dependence on him, obligation to him, of his mind and of his will, and knew what it was, what it was to have communion with him. Now, this is not to say his other creations did not have their own form of worship. And I bring to you the angelic host. Psalm 33 verse 6. We know how they were created. Again, God spoke it and it came into existence. David writes, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. Luke 2, 9 through 14 even gives it to a more personal and distinct worship. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. By verse 10, so the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and laying, lying in a manger. Verse 13, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly army of angels praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. And yet we have a distinction from the angels. How big is this? They can't even comprehend the love that God has for his elect people. 1 Peter 1, 10-12 As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches 
and inquiries. Verse 11, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Then verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach to you the gospel by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which the angels long to look. But it's not just the angels that now are left in stupor. Because now by verse number 5 in the Gospel of John, in the first chapter here as we're coming into context, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. See, the apostle is making mention of the very thing that befell mankind. If you remember in the beginning, I exclaimed that there is life. And to show that life and its essence and how it was in proper harmony in the garden. Well, the darkness that Paul, that, I'm sorry, that John makes of this is likened to the sinful nature that now bestowed a man. That disobedience that they Adam and Eve took upon themselves. And we know this great act of disobedience that occurred in the beginning of the garden. It, it had a devastating result. For what we knew of life in the physical and the metaphysical, the spiritual and the internal, now we know death. For remember, the curse declared on Adam was not just to render him dead physically, spiritually, and eternally. Though we understand the aspects of the garden, how God saved him. But the ramifications of the curse also applied to his posterity. Remember Psalm 51, 3 through 5. For I know my wrongdoings. And my sin is constantly before me. Against you and you alone I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Behold, I was brought forth in guilt and in sin my mother conceived me. Note here what John Gill states. Man was created a knowing creature, but not content with his knowledge. Sins, therefore, and now he is banished from the presence of God, the fountain of light, which brought a darkness on him and his posterity, and which is increased in them by their own personal iniquity, in which Satan, the God of this world, has a hand in. You see, likewise, what John is stating here, and let's look at the first clause of verse number five. The light shines in the darkness. It's even through the disobedience that was endued by Adam's actions. You still can't lose that aspect of the image of God endued in man. And so far, so far, and how that image is still endued, even you being born in sin, it should not be lost, but still moves 
forward. You see, I'm going to bring your attention to some of the aspects we didn't even have in this life, right? Recently, we got a verdict that hasn't become official, but we know what it's going to look like in the next couple of months. But notice what's transpired. The arguments that has been extolled. The protest that has been done. And through all this, the image of God is what they're fighting against. They cannot come to grips. Why did you make me like this? And this is what John is trying to proclaim or proclaim to the church. That even through all that you are seeing, that's what they're fighting. But we as believers know that image is still in doing us and understanding it properly is what makes us different from the humanists. Why would I say this? Romans 1, 20 through 23. Paul writes in verse 20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. It is being understood by what has been made. So what happens here? They are now without excuse. For even though they knew God through creation, they think, they see there must be a created order. There must be someone who has brought this all into being. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give things, but became futile in their reasoning and their senseless hearts were darkened they cannot make heads or tails why they were or why they are who they are so by verse 22 claiming to be wise ah no better i know what to do with my body i know what's happening here if i want to do something about it i can make the choice is that right Scripture states, you claim to be wise, but in reality, you are a fool. Because by verse 23, by exchanging the glory of the incorruptible God, they do it for a image in the form of corruptible man. And it just doesn't stop there. If they want to, they'll seek birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. There's not a lot of mythology and a lot of things that you heard throughout the annals of history ring a bell. I mean, we see it. We saw it as close to when Moses was uh, freeing the people of Israel. And all of a sudden, everybody decided to split and they wanted to go ahead and build this golden calf. So nothing is new under the sun. But the apostles making it very, very clear. They are fighting against 
the image, the God, the fact that he is endowed them with reason. Why? So that he can receive from his creation, that is mankind, a distinct and personal worship. Calvin states here, the evangelist anticipates the question. And so therefore he lays down with caution that the light was originally bestowed on men must not be estimated by their present condition because in that and in this corrupt and degenerate nature, light has been turned into darkness. And yet he affirms that the light of understanding is not not extinguished or extinguished wholly from the person, but it is and it rounds in the thickness of darkness of the human mind. And even out of this, some remaining sparks still shines and comes forth. Because they think about it. They see something and they say something must have created this podium, this microphone, my shoes, my car. Now, this is not to say that through reasoning and understanding, establishing man, that man will come to salvation on their own merits. No, no, and no again. For if that were the case, and I'm going to be pragmatic here, if that were the case, that man could come to salvation, why do people die? In fact, if you look at the cemetery, you can see that man is winless. See, the understanding here is that man has been endued with that understanding and reasoning because, again, God wants his worship, especially from his creatures, to be distinct. I showed it to you with the angels. He can do it with the animals and how he pleases, but with mankind and mankind alone, he's made it distinct. And, again, even going back to where Paul spoke about, in that thinking they were wise, they actually were fools. Our Lord and Savior tells them, even by their own carelessness in what they speak, they will be condemned. Matthew 12, 36 states, But I tell you that for every careless word that is spoken of, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. So even what you say, comes with great gravity. <laughs> Romans 2, 14 through 16. Paul even states, because sometimes people want to make excuses for others. You know, they never heard the gospel. So how is it even possible that such a loving God can condemn people that has violated a law? Paul states, by verse 14 in chapter 2, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law extinctly perform the requirements of the law, these, though not having the law, as a law to themselves. By verse 15, and in that, again, that understanding, that reasoning has been in due with them, they show the work of the law written in their hearts. Ah, the distinction between mankind and creation. Their conscience, ooh, another distinction between mankind and creation. Testify and their thoughts are alternatively accusing or defending them. 
But on that day, according to my gospel, in verse 16, God, again, will judge the secrets of mankind through whom the heir of all things, through whom the one that the world came into being, Jesus Christ. So therefore, by time, the last clause in verse 5, the darkness did not grasp it. The apostles' mirrors make it the consequential statement, which is, for by the light of nature, through it, the remnants of man could not come to any clear, distinct knowledge of the above things, much less any knowledge that comes with salvation. Matthew 13, 13. Oh, again, our Lord. Sometimes I think for his own amusement, I know he's serious, but coming from the outside, sometimes I find it a little humorous how he likes to act amongst his creation. Because there was a time when he gave a parable in Matthew 13, uh, uh, this one in particular. He gives a parable. People go away confused and understand what's happening. And his own apostles are like, all right, now tell us what it means. Have you not been with me all this time? Have I not taught you? And what does he say in, in verse 13 of Matthew 13? I speak to them in parables because while seeing, or they claim to see, they do not see. And while hearing, they claim to hear me, they actually do not hear nor do they understand. Why? Because that revelation that comes with coming to the faith has to be God bread. And what you're going to find out as you continue to stay with us in this series of God, the, the Gospel of John, you're going to realize why John speaks in such a way that you don't really see them in the other Gospels. Because from what we established with verses 1 through 5, he's making it very, very clear and very, very apparent. This God is a living God. And of what was decreed from the beginning, God the Son had a decreed faculty to walk on this earth and to do things that no other person could do given what was commanded of them, being Adam, in the garden. God's going to show you what perfect and obedience actually looks like. So in summary, we have closed here with verses 1 through 5. And I'll read it again just so that everything comes into context. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things came into being through him and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. For in him was life and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not grasp it. I hope with these First five verses, you have a renewed, profound respect for the Lord Jesus Christ. But then I hope your knowledge has been expanded, knowing full and well that this is not some sort of popular thought process when it comes to making a distinction 
about the Messiah, especially in Christianity in the Western part of the world. Christianity is not normal. It's not. It means miracles. It means a change of attitude, your heart, your whole life encompassing. That's what Christianity means. And it's not something to be taken for granted because people died to believe in God. I think it's probably because when things get easy, you seem to forget the struggle. But our Lord is perfect. And he knows very well why things transpire for why they transpire. And I do hope and pray that as we continue to learn about the Gospel of John, our eyes become more open to just realize the magnification that is encompassed in God the Son. Shall we pray?